please stand as we prepare our hearts for worship by the reading of God's word. A reading from Isaiah. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, a thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant, your hearts shall thrill and exalt. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Medan and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nabioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you. But in my favor, I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be opened continually. Day and night, they shall not be shut. That people may bring you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. The word of God for the people of God. It's good to be with you again this morning. My name is Eric Ashley. I have been on staff here for the last four years. It's crazy, it's been four years, and yet we're transitioning, as you heard, to plant a church. Um, if you'd like to receive some updates on that, you can go to the website, uh, westncc.org backslash plant. Sign up for our email newsletter, and we'll send you some more information on that. We're excited. It's been a fun summer, and things are, things are starting to get real uh, as we head into the fall. Uh, we are finishing up a series on work. Uh, that we've done this, sur- uh, this summer. If you've been in and out of town and missed some of those, you may want to catch up on the podcast online. But uh, just let me give you a couple of resources for this, ser- uh, this morning's sermon because this morning we're kind of ending it up looking at where things are headed, looking at the end of all things. And this book uh, by a guy named Nathan Bierma called Bringing Heaven Down to Earth is a great resource, very accessible and a good uh, last couple of weeks of summer read, if you want to, bringing heaven down to earth that will uh, talk in more detail about some of the things we'll talk about this morning. Another great uh, online resource is, if you like animation, like I do, um, bring things down to my level, animation, um, then you can go to YouTube and go- or, or Google or YouTube, um, what is it, uh, Bible Project, the Bible Project. Those guys have made some great, great video resources, and specifically the one on new heavens and new earth uh, will will help with some of the things we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, so, Isaiah 60. Is there going to be work in the new heavens and the new earth? And if so, how do you see work in the new heavens and the new earth and this idea of rest? How does all that make sense and work together? That's what we're going to look at this morning briefly. Uh, we won't be able to unpack all the details 
but uh, of this great passage, but we'll, we'll, we'll try to see how far we can get through it. Um, let me ask you a question as we start off. Who, uh, raise your hand, who wants to go to heaven? I think that might be everybody, um, which is a good thing. Um, let me ask a follow-up question. You can raise your hand. Who wants to go to heaven today? Maybe a little more reluctant. We've got some people that are all there. Others are like, I want to go to heaven, but not yet, right? It's, it's usually kind of our, our posture towards that. And unless we're at a, at a tough season or we've experienced enough life to think that there must be something better, right? Um, when we ask that question, when we answer that question, when we think about it, Part of what causes some hesitation or, or even some uncertainty about how to answer that question right is really gets to da- down to the, the basics of what is the, what's the purpose of heaven. Um, when I, my kids and I think about it and talk about it, usually it devolves pretty quickly into imagining are there going to be 7-Eleven slushy fountains at every corner? Or are there going to be trees that we can pick off, Sour Patch Kids off of? And all the things that we like and that we want we're wondering if it's going to be there, right? Because we're, we're thinking we can't imagine a world that wouldn't fulfill all of our greatest fantasies and be what we want, self-serving. Um, but instead of asking the question of, of, of is heaven there to make me happy? Is it going to have all the things that will make me happy? Really the better question is to, to see heaven or a better thought is to see heaven as the Bible sees it. It's not just there to make us happy, but really and truly ultimately to make things right. To make things right, to win back the peace, the shalom, to usher in the return of rightness and wholeness. If things are, are, are made right, if they're made whole, if they're made the way that they're supposed to be in the first place, then happiness will follow. So really that's the question we're going to look at this morning is, is what, what, what does heaven look like if things are going to be made right? So let's define some terms real quick. First of all, uh, in the Bible, heaven is not defined the way that we normally define it. Our visions of heaven are usually from TV or from a book that we read, or maybe like for me, it was the Sunday comics that I looked at from my grandfather's house um, on Sunday afternoons. I'd read the comics and you'd see pictures of, of, uh, of BC or other things that would have pictures of heaven. And usually it was a little um, cherub or angel sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. And that was the extent of, of, of maybe an understanding or St. Peter's gates that you were maybe being let in, might not be let in, um, depending on if you've done things right or wrong. Um, that's not really the biblical picture of heaven. And if that's a surprise to you, then there's a lot of great stuff to discover in the Bible about what heaven is and where things are headed. Heaven in the Bible is, is talked about in terms of the place that God resides, that Early on in scriptures, because God created things, he was with us. He was with mankind, walking in the cool of the day in the garden. His presence was, had full access to his presence. And then in our sin and our rebellion, there was a separation that occurred. So when you talk about heaven from a biblical standpoint, we're talking about the place that we would go if we know the Lord, if we were to die today. We would go, our spirits would go be with him Our bodies would be buried, but our spirits would go be with him in the presence of God today, which is why he tells us the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. But it's not our final resting place. What the Bible calls our final resting place is used in this term of the new heavens and new earth, 
when Jesus, who's at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, will come again to bring heaven to earth. And so it's this phrase called the new heavens and the new earth, not because we need a new heaven, but because it's, it's meant to describe the joining of what has been separated, the coming together of what is rightfully meant to be together, God's presence dwelling with man, his loving creation and creatures once again as he brings his kingdom in full. And so we call it the new heavens and new earth, uh, meaning this renewed, this made right place and, and time that is, is, is coming in the future. Jesus came first to purchase our salvation. He lived among us. He did everything necessary to accomplish that salvation, including dying on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. But the job is not done. He's coming again to finish the job, to rid the world once and for all of sin and misery, to finish the salvation that he's already made sure and accomplished. So where we're headed is that King Jesus is coming back not to annihilate this earth, but to restore, to renew things. And if that's true, then we ask the question, then what does that mean for our work? What does that mean for our labor? Is there gonna be work when he returns? We see uh, hints of that, uh, strong hints of that in Isaiah 60, where the prophet is using obviously prophetic language, things, uh, language to describe things that he sees that are almost indescribable, but he's trying to use language that we can understand. And yet there is a, a weight to it that we can draw some conclusions and principles for what's to come. So let's look at that. What are some of the particulars of the new heavens and the new earth? It starts out saying, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you and the nations will come to your light. The kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons from afar, your daughters carried on the hip. The opening scene of the new heavens and the new earth, when Jesus returns, brings heaven to earth, sets up his kingdom in full, looks a lot like a parade. It looks a lot like a parade. Uh, I've mentioned this before in here, but we did parades growing up in Osceola, Georgia. Um, we called ours the Sweet Potato Festival, Sweet Potato Parade, because somewhere back in our history, we were known for sweet potatoes. Um, and so we get together every year. They get together now. Haven't been back uh, in a while, but they get together every year and celebrate the Sweet Potato Festival that culminates in a parade where there's a sweet potato princess, you know, that rides in a float that leads off the parade. And then there's uh, there's a, uh, all sorts of little uh, floats that, that the kids have put on and they all dress up and, and there's Cub Scout troops and all this kind of stuff. And then after them comes the big tractors, right? With the ones with the big double tires and they're just driving through on um, pulling different stuff. And then there's police cars and then there's the fire truck that shows up and, and uh, you know, does his siren and stuff like that. And then there's motorcycles and usually at the end there's horses because we all know why horses come last. So uh, everyone parades. What are we doing? We're saying this is the best our city has to offer. This is what we're known for. This is our contribution to society. We're great at sweet potatoes, right? We're putting it on display. We're celebrating. We're, we're looking at each other. We're affirming what we have to offer. That's what's going on here, the opening scene in the new heavens and the new earth. Every nation is represented coming to lay before the rightful king their contribution to the world. 
to the cosmos. The cedars of Lebanon, those great trees. Uh, the, the, the camels from all of these different places that on the backs of the camels are bringing gold and frankincense and spices and all of these sorts of things. The rams of Nebaioth, these great flocks and herds, they're coming from all over. They're looking around and they see this big parade of the nations that comes and lays and presents all of their best before the rightful king. It's a parade, it's a celebration, it's set on display this festival which if you're an introvert is a nightmare, I get it. But what is it saying? It's not saying that, that it continues, this great parade continues on for eternity. It's saying what's representative here is what's gonna be representative of the new heavens and the new earth. Those tractors in Osceola, Georgia went back to the fields to their normal work. The fire truck went back to its station for its normal work. Uh, the, the people, the Cub Scouts, they went back to do their normal thing. It was representative of the normal comings and goings of our little society in Osceola, Georgia. The same thing is here, that there will be cultural artifacts. There'll be real work to be done. These people come and they come to beautify the house of the Lord, to build up the walls of the city of Zion, to put their hands to good, real work. Art, music, business, all of these things that we put our hands to on a day-to-day basis are not bad in and of themselves. If sin had never entered the world, they would have continued because that's what Adam and Eve were to do, were to take the raw materials of the world and to cultivate them. To subdue in Genesis 1 and 2 literally means to draw from below, to take the good stuff of the earth and draw out its glory. To cultivate it in a way that it screams of God's glory and our good. It's a huge, significant thing. And yet, we have filled the world um, with junk, with things that instead seek to glorify us, with idols that we look to for salvation and satisfaction instead of the Lord. So there's going to be continuity, but there's going to be a lot of discontinuity, right? There's going to be things that we notice and recognize, but there's going to be so different that it's almost hard to imagine. A great example of it in this passage is the ships of Tarshish. The ships of Tarshish, did you catch that? In, um, in verse nine, the coastlands shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar, their silver and their gold with them for the name of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel because he's made you beautiful. He's made you beautiful. That's significant because the ships of Tarshish uh, saying that in that time would be like saying Coca-Cola in our time. Coca-Cola is a globally recognized brand, right? Their mission is to have a Coke in, in the hand of every person in the world, right? So everywhere you go, you'll see the Coca-Cola emblem. That's the ships of Tarshish. Everywhere you went, people would know what the ship, a ship of Tarshish stood for was because they would go, in their largeness and their bravery and their might, they would go to the ends of the then known world and bring back all the cool stuff that people had never seen. All the rubies and diamonds and gold and all the, the weird animals that nobody had, had seen. And, 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 and all of these experiences and stories and tales. So when the ship of Tarshish were to come into the harbor, you'd see the kids and the adults probably running to see what they brought. To hear what they'd experienced because they'd been on these great journeys all the way to Tarshish and back and brought with them all of these great things. It stood for the glory of man. Look what we can do. Look how great we are. Look at the pride that we have in 
in ourselves. We don't need anything or anybody, much less like, God, we've got the ships of Tarshish. We can do it ourselves. And because of that, because of the pride of what they stood for, God had told Isaiah earlier in the book that they are to be devoted to destruction. These emblems of human pride and sin are to be devoted to destruction. But yet, they show up in the new heavens and the new earth, in this grand first parade of the new heavens and the new earth. So what gifts? Are they to be devoted to destruction? Or are they going to be found in the new heavens and the new earth? And the answer, of course, is yes. Both of those are true. Because it, it, it all hinges on our understanding of what does it mean for them to be devoted to destruction. And as you study that phrase in the Old Testament and the New, that phrase always means a breaking in, in, a, in a good way. Not like the breaking of a vase that you can't put back together, that's destroyed and you just need to sweep it up and throw it away. But more the breaking of a horse. Where you take all of that wild, strong energy and you tame it so that it speeds the rider in the direction that it wants to go, the direction of health and encouragement and goodness and rightness. That's the way that the ships of Tarshish are to be broken. They're to be devoted to uh, destruction in the sense of destroying their former function so that they can now bring glory and honor to God, the thing that they should have been created for in the first place. You see that as they now, in the new heavens and the new earth, show up, but they're no longer the emblem of human pride, instead they're what? They're bringing the ch- our children from afar and ushering them into the great city of God to worship the King of Kings. A beautiful function, a right function, one that deserves to show up in the new heavens and the new earth. Remember, Revelation 21, it talks about, it uses this phrase, not, it doesn't say I'm making all new things, but it says I'm making all things new. It's a big difference. Uh, People without work, without culture, would be like a fish in an empty fishbowl. That's not what it's made for. It's made to swim in water. And we have been made and put on this earth to interact with each other in a real world with real things to put our hands to. And God says resoundingly in his scriptures, like in Isaiah 60, that's what it'll be filled with. That's where things are headed. Think of all the ways that we take culture and misuse them. And then think of them being set right and us enjoying that for eternity. It's kind of like the the movie August Rush where August, this young boy, can hear music in things that most of us miss on a day-to-day basis in the clanging of of, uh, pothole covers or the, the rush of traffic or the wind blowing through the trees or whatever it might be. And then at the end of the movie, when he's able to compose this great symphony, he uses all of these things that to us sound like noise to come together to form this beautiful, beautiful piece of music, right? That's what God's up to, up taking all of these things that are good in and of themselves that we tend to use for sinful, prideful human purposes. And he's like, I'm going to renew them so that they scream of my glory, so they all work together for my good transforming them for his glory. Romans 12, one and two talks about it. And when it says that we are no longer to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, the phrase there literally means do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. What it's saying is when we follow these pathways of the world, usually it's, it's too small. 
It's not what we were designed for. That God wants to break that mold and allow us to experience more of his glory and joy than we ever dared imagine. The ships of Tarshish were being used for things that God says it looked like it was great purposes, but it was too small. Let's break that and instead let it speed the children of God to the city of God. Think about what that means for our work. How many aspects of our daily vocations have been squeezed or minimized or hampered because of sin and misery? What would it look like? I I like to talk to people in smaller groups and, and ask them, what vocations will be in the new heavens and the new earth and which ones will be done away with? Because not all of them. We don't need everything that we do on earth. We won't need in the new heavens and the new earth. It'll be different, right? All sin will be done away with. But I think we too quickly dismiss a lot of vocations that may have a place in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, people tend to dismiss uh, a police force. We won't, we won't need a police force. And I'm like, well, not so fast. Um, you know, our tendency now when we see a police car is to do what? Immediately tap the brakes, right? Because why? We've got this sense of guilt. Of like, oh no, was I going too fast? Was I doing something wrong? My kids are always worried we're gonna get arrested because somebody didn't have their seatbelt on right or the car seat's not, whatever it might, else. And I'm like, have I bred that fear? I, mean, I don't know. But, but what would it look like to look at a police car and not to see, oh no, am I guilty? But more of like, oh, here's someone to help serve. Not just protect, they're there to serve. What would the proactive, the positive side of law enforcement look like? Or healthcare. Not just to relieve something that is wrong, but to promote health, things that are good and right. And we could go on and on with vocations, not to be hampered and squeezed because of sin and misery, but to fulfill the full version of what those vocations could be. It's almost hard to imagine which is why we need one another to sit together and dream together about what our vocations, not only reactive, but proactive can look like. And if that's true, if there's going to be meaningful labors, meaningful things to put our hands to in the new heavens and the new earth, then the last thing that we ask in a a sermon like this is then (laughs) if there's gonna be work, then how can there also be rest? It doesn't sound very restful. First, you talked about a parade, which freaks me out because I don't like crowds. And now you're talking about being full of work for eternity. I'm not sure now I do want to go there. Um, Well, let's think about rest together for just a second. Look in this passage with me about what is not there. Before we talk about rest, what is not there? Well, there are a lot of things not there that make work exhausting that make me not wanna get up and go to work on a Monday morning. First of all, there's no time or deadline. Think of the stress, um, the poor work, the temptation to cut corners that is caused by deadlines and by feeling pressed with time. But also think about the things that we fail to enjoy because of deadlines and the pressures of time. The Home Depot commercials say that when you want to stain your deck, that it just takes a flash of this and a flash of that picture of work. And then the main part of the commercial is the guy relaxing on his deck, finished finished work, right? But what is it actually like? It's like a flash of relaxing and mostly uh, the work that goes into staining a deck. I should know, I just did it. Um, it, We don't know the enjoyment of the fruits of our labors partly because there's all this time crunch and deadline. I'd love to be able to learn how to make guitars. 
I would love that. I, look, I go, go to a store, a guitar store, and I look, and I'm like, man, that'd be so fun to see how they all, I don't know if I'll ever have time in this life to learn how to make guitars. Not, not very well, anyway, because there's so many other things I'm putting my hands to, right? But what if in the new heavens and the new earth, there's no time, there's no deadline? That means I might have a lot of time to get really good at making guitars. Something that is the desire of my heart that, that I'll have time to do. Um, fears, worry, there's none of that. No fear, no worry here. You see that the gates in that passage, the gates are gonna be continually open. They've got gates, but they've got them so they don't have to use them <laughs> because they're gonna be wide open. There's no fear of anybody robbing or stealing or attacking or anything like that. They're open for commerce and trade and enjoyment and relationship. What do you do daily or not do or try because of fear? Fear of failure. What keeps you up at night? It won't be there in the new heavens and the new earth. There won't be any tears or sorrow, no relational strife or loss or fear in the pit of your stomach for going to work because you're dreading seeing so-and-so that you had a disagreement with last week at the, at the board meeting, right? There's no baggage that you carry into work that, that, that causes the, the sorrow and the tears. There's no weariness or wearing out. I imagine there'll probably be a, a, a good kind of tired from exerting ourselves in a good, healthy way, but we'll have new bodies. We won't have, like I had a few weeks ago as we were painting our, our, our cabinets white and all I did was really just sit in one spot most of the day painting and yet when I stood up at the end of the day, I was I had pain in places I didn't know you could have pain from just sitting. That wouldn't have happened 10 years ago, right? But my body is aging. Well, we're gonna have new bodies. We're going to be able to, they won't wear out. And finally, and most importantly, there won't be this selfishness, this inward focus, this sin. We won't do work to be self-serving. We'll, we'll work together in partnerships and teams. There won't be any, this blows my mind, no rivalries. We'll be working for the good of one another and ultimately for the glory of God. When you think about all of that, all of a sudden the tiresomeness, the weariness, the idea that work wears us out kind of starts to go in the background. Because rest should never be considered primarily as just negative, just the absence of something, but you're resting unto something, to enjoy something. We only cease doing some things on the Sabbath, as we heard last week, in order that we might constructively do other things, like enjoy God and one another in our world rightly. That's why we're given the Sabbath as a gift. And I think that's why God describes eternity as an eternal Sabbath. Because not just that we'll cease doing some things, but that we'll be able to do what we were made for perfectly and rightly. Enjoy God, one another, in our world. When the frustrating and wearying and oppressive and destructive elements of sin and corruption are removed, all of a sudden these daily labors begin to look enticingly restful. So I think scripture testifies there'll be meaningful work to put our hands to. And we will enter a rest of enjoying things the, the way that they're designed to be enjoyed from the beginning. But what does that mean for us? Let's look quickly at some application. When we have a picture of the new heavens and the new earth, we ultimately get something to aim for. We finally have a picture of something to aim for. That's why it's so good to study it. There's not a whole lot of details that we're given, but it's good to know where things are headed. Because then we 
can be called rightly to board the ships of Tarshish on our day. If they're going to be there in the new heavens and the new earth, cleansed of their sinful purposes, used for the glory of our God, then we can board those ships today and begin the work of helping them reflect more and more their God-given purposes now. You can board the ships of Tarshish of a law firm or a healthcare business or whatever it might be. Number two, not only can we board those ships, but we have to realize really quickly and really importantly that we're not there yet. The new heavens and the new earth are future and the ships of Tarshish are powerful. There's a lot of momentum uh, already on these, in these areas of vocation that are not God honoring. And not only can we get carried away with those into sin, but our own sin plays a part of that a lot of times. We have, you heard fellows uh, that come here right out of college every year in partnership with some other churches. And part of what they're trying to do is to learn how do I apply all these things I've learned in the real world to, to real vocation. And they come with these great dreams of changing the world. Whether it's an, a, someone who's going to enter the public school system and in a hard school and work for you know, education, God's glory to be realized there in, in a meaningful way. And it's great. It's contagious. And yet after a few weeks of being in that job, what do they do? They come to us, what? Discouraged. Deflated. I didn't know there was all of these things working against the realization of what I hoped to see. And that's part of the reason we have them here. So in community, we can lean on one another and learn this term of hopeful realism. Let me see the world really as it is, not just some dream that I've made up, but let me see it really what it is and yet learn to have hope in the midst of it because of the gospel, because there's a God who's real, who really does show up and work in tangible ways on a day-to-day basis. We have to be careful. These ships are powerful. There's a lot of momentum. We have our own sin that plays into it. And yet we can really and truly see real redemption and restoration occur. And that leads to number three. In some sense, what we're told is that we can reach into that future of what will, what will be and in a limited way, pull it into the presence. That's, that's why we're taught to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done a little bit more today as it is in heaven. Because we serve a God who says, I am doing this. It's not we who do it ultimately. It's, it's he who does it. And so we can't forget that he's the one who, who does it, but we also can't forget that he does it. That he really does show up that he really has committed and saying, this is the direction that things are headed. And in its time, it says in verse 22 of this chapter, in this time, he says, I will do it. I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. So this is great stuff. It's stuff that we can talk about and get excited about and tease out the implications and details, and we should, but ultimately it's a side dish. I don't know about you, but I love side dishes. I love Edley's uh, grits casserole. I love uh, Heidi B's pimento mac and cheese. And sometimes I could go and just eat those, right? But if that's all I ever did was go and eat those side dishes at those restaurants, um, I'd be missing the point because what is Heidi B's known for? Hot chicken. What is 
Ed Lee's known for, well, at least in my house, they're known for their brisket tacos, right? But barbecue. And so if I just went and ate the side dishes, I'd be missing out on the good stuff that is the entree, the main, the main deal. It's good for us to talk about work and whether or not it's gonna be in the new heavens, the new earth, and what it's gonna look like and all these details because it gives us a, 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 a purpose that's much more substantial and healthy than sitting on a disembodied cloud playing a harp for eternity, right? And yet it's not the main thing. The main thing we have to look forward to is that our precious Lord Jesus Christ will be there. He will be there. And the presence of Him for eternity is what gives everything else any sort of meaning, then and now. He is the main thing. The one who has lived a life that we can't live, who's taken our punishment that we deserve for us and given us His perfect life, the one who loves us that much to go to those sorts of links will have full access to his presence. We would see him face to face in his real body, in our glorified real bodies and enjoy him for eternity. That's the main thing. But we'll do it with meaningful labors to put our hands to. Let's pray.